Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio. We're a podcast dedicated to uncovering the grit that make founders, entrepreneurs, and innovative thinkers tick in one of the most crucial industries on the planet, supply chain. To learn more, you can check us out at InsideTheFounderStudio.com. But for now, let's hand it to our host, Ryan Schreiber. All right. So today I have an incredible guest with me. I have Kevin Nolan, the founder and the chief rhino of Nolan Transportation Group, among other companies, because you have your hands on a lot of things, Kevin. And Kevin started NTG in 2005 and has grown the company to be one of the top brokers in the industry with revenues approaching a billion, should be over a billion this year, along with OTR Capital, a factoring company that'll do over two and a half billion in revenue this year. Both businesses heavily focused on proprietary software and really sound execution to win. So Kevin, thanks for jumping on with me today and sharing some of your insight. I mean, I think that's it, man. Let's end on that high note right there. Yeah, with that just intro. end the podcast right now. I need you just to walk around my house with my daughters <laughs> so they'll understand what's going on, the effort and the, the work it took. That was awesome intro, man. I really appreciate that. I was just looking at LinkedIn. We started chatting the end of February of this year. So we got on the phone and I remember we were trying to figure out what the heck was going to happen with COVID at the offices, what Jeff and his team were planning to do. So You've been around and gotten to know myself as well as a lot of the other rhinos pretty well during a chaotic year. So we appreciate your support. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, it's been great getting to know you and the team. You have an incredible team over at NTG these days and gotten to be pretty close to several of those folks. Thanks for jumping on here and letting some people inside your head. Before I get into any of this other stuff, I'm sure that there are people who know, but I don't know where's the rhino come from. You know, as I was growing the business and getting it taking off. We had a pretty fierce brokerage that had popped up and grew really fast in Chicago and Coyote, and they had a badass logo come out. So when their first logo came out and their color scheme and everything else, I was like, we need a cool animal. We need something that you know we can have in the marketplace kind of as like our, it is our logo, but you know, like our jersey, right? And our animal. And so we're the rhinos because... When you start from scratch, you got to hit the phones really, really hard. So, you know, people call the phones a horn and then you got to have really thick skin because a lot of shippers as well as trucking companies are not going to always want to work with you or there's going to be problems and you're going to have to face through them. And then the biggest, the best reason is a group of rhinos is called a crash and uh, our Christmas parties are quite the hit. (laughs) So... We even had people from C.H. Robinson crash our Christmas party this year. Oh, that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. We found it, though, because they were posting pictures inside, like at the competition's party. I was like, well, hey, you know, you came to our party. That's pretty great. I hope to get the invite next year since certainly this year kind of missed out. But as we talked about kind of like leading up to this, I want this podcast to be about success, but I also I want to talk about failure and imposter syndrome and and some of those things. And you've been incredibly successful, right? That's inarguable. You've taken these businesses from nothing to billion plus dollar businesses. Let's just start off with the fact that I'm talking to somebody in logistics right now about what did you just say? What was that? Imposter syndrome. Okay. All right. So when I started in this business, you know, let's say late 90s, early 2000s, like no imposter syndrome was even known. Meaning 
the term, right? And that's yeah, just how term, cool yeah. logistics has become over the last 20 years, just to say that either it's become really cool or it's like reaching. You know what I'm saying? I'm going with because of the way you think and the way that you act, I will follow you into this rabbit hole. I, I appreciate that. Wait, we'll see where it goes. Like I said, you know, you're a little bit of my guinea pig. This is one of the first episodes we've done. So I want people to know you and know where you're coming from a little bit. So start by telling us a little bit about like, where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? What was it like being little Kevin, a little rhino? Grew up in area outside of Atlanta, Marietta, Georgia. It's called East Cobb. My mom was a school teacher in Cobb County. My dad worked in commercial real estate. I was a highly, highly competitive child, you know, in sports. I, you know, always was on the swim team as a young kid. I always played football. I wrestled. I did track. So I grew up always playing sports, always being competitive. I had an older sister. She still is my older sister, but I had an older sister who was into dancing and cheer. So always hectic at nights and weekends as well, right? Because we're you know, coming home from school and going to practices or recitals or games or, or whatever it was. So then trying to throw in social life on top of that, which, you know, has always been a big part of my life and, you know, going to hang out with my buddies and hanging out and parties or whatever else. So chaos is kind of always what I've lived in. And then went to a, a small school in South Carolina, Presbyterian College, play football there. We were Division Two at the time, and, you know, small Southern college school that was great. Liberal arts learned a lot. Their business program was really solid. They had a career center, and so went in the career center, and there was a company that loved recruiting college athletes, and C.H. Robinson went and visited the Columbia, South Carolina office and just fell in love with the industry immediately. I, I remember coming back and telling my guys I lived with in my townhouse. I was like, hey, I just left the Redneck Stock Exchange. I was like, they posted a load from Blythewood, South Carolina to Chicago and 9,000 people called on it. I was like, this is sweet. And so, you know, kind of fell in love with brokerage and got my MBA at night while I had gotten married, had my first child. And, you know, Robinson at that point had gone public. I was in an office in Atlanta and, you know, not really known because of the fact that at that point it was $3 billion, even though I was growing and getting accounts, but did get active in hiring and recruiting, was getting my MBA at night and had to model a business, modeled out a freight brokerage and said, all right, I'm going to do this and had a non-compete to sit out. And then I was an agent for a few people and then started up my own MC in 2007. That's great. That's quite the journey. What position did you play in football? All through growing up, played a bunch of different ones. You know, every now and then, because I was pretty fast for a big guy, they'd let me run the ball, you know, kind of as like a thank you for blocking all year. I never really realized that. I was like, yeah, I think they think I could maybe be a running back. But no, I mean, um, so... uh, As we get older, isn't it funny how we realize the things we thought we could have done when we were like kids that we didn't get to do? We know we couldn't have actually, especially with athletics, I'm the same way. It's like, man, I think I could have been an all pro tight end. Cause I'm six foot three. I got great hands. You know, I'm a big guy, but like, there's no way I was ever, I mean, if I could have played D three football, that would have been incredible, but you know, then, Oh, but this happened and that happened. And now I'm older. I look back and I realize like, 
I was never going to be anybody. Look, I mean, I'm sure you were somebody in your circle that you played in and everything else, but the guys that make it, you know, D1 and to the NFL or get tryouts or whatever else, they're freaks of nature. And they're, you know, they're just not only in the mental aspect of it, but just, you know, when you're in college and you're that focused and you're still the star of a big college and then you can stay focused to make it to the league. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, the people who wash out end up, you know, a lot of times what you see, right, is it's not talent that washes them out. It's focus, it's determination, it's that kind of stuff, right? I mean, that's a lot of what you just talked about. And a lot of what we talked about in prep that we're going to get into that I said, hey, save that for the live show. You talked about you were at Robinson. You, you kind of modeled out this business. That was a little bit of your professional background. Kevin, have you ever been fired? Yeah. What I'm getting at here is, Kev, how'd you react to that? What'd you think about that? Like you had a wife, you had a kid, you had bills to pay. It was shit or get off the pot, right? And basically, I mean, I had committed to what I was going to do already, but it was shit or get off the pot, right? I basically needed a job. That's why I started my business and I knew what I was good at. I'm a good freight broker. I might not be the best fucking employee. So if I'm going to go work for a boss... Boss might as well be me, you know? I mean, that's that's what went down. What do you think made you not a good employee? Oh, because I think my way is pretty damn good. And I think I've proven that. But I'm not always on time. And I think that the same reason my brokers are a pain in the ass, I was a pain in the ass, right? Who cares if I'm 10 minutes late, man? I got 40,000 in margin this week on the board. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm paying for myself 15 times over. I learned that you can't have that attitude and that cockiness. You can have it, but you can have it a few times. You can't have it all the time. I mean, our best brokers in the history of my businesses or salespeople at OTR or whatever else have been sent home. Like go home. <laughs> you know, you're hot. I get it. You know, I get it. I know where you're coming from. I was never really made to work in the confinements of somebody else's laws until I got fired and realized why I got fired and why I was a jackass and why you couldn't be that way. I learned a lot about who I was as an employee and didn't act that way when I was the team captain. Didn't act that way, you know, when I was calling the blocking schemes or whatever else is the center. You know what I'm saying? Like I was a good employee at producing numbers, but I definitely caused headaches. It's interesting. You say that part about how, when you were in charge, you know, you did things differently. I noticed that with the businesses that I've started is sort of heavy as the head that wears the crown, you know, analogy. And when I was the guy, once I became the guy, I had a much different appreciation for some of the things that happened at businesses. I had a much better understanding of why the leaders of those businesses made some of the decisions they made. Maybe I still would have made them differently. Maybe I would have gone about them differently, but I had a much different appreciation from perspective. Because like you, I struggle fitting into a box. That's what I heard you say. I struggle fitting into a box, right? Yeah. And that was the problem. You give me a field to play in, I'm going to play in the field aggressively. I'm going to want to win. And, you know, sometimes when I think I deserve a little slack in places because, yeah, but that shit doesn't work. You got to have balance and you got to have 
what I always call like the asshole in the room, right? And Blake Malone, who worked with me at all the companies and founded them all, guy wasn't afraid of conflict. The guy wasn't afraid to call people out when they weren't on time. But, you know, when I started the business, we were there every day at 7.30 and I was there every day on time. And I would work until 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock finding leads. I mean, and I did that same stuff when I worked at Robinson and I did that same stuff when I worked at other brokerages. You just know that you're good, but you got to have teammates that pick up the slack where you're not good. Like I was the worst at getting checks out to carriers because it was a pain in the ass to sign checks for hours. Right. And then, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Blake would put in all these things that were needed and whatever else. So I didn't appreciate as a young broker, what it takes to run a business and how kind of disrespectful I was just because I was scoring some points. Well, to your point too, by the way, Kevin, that it takes a team. Like that your success wasn't entirely you necessarily, right? Like you may be the star quarterback, but you had to have other people. You had to have an incredible team. And then even when you just talked about starting NTG or starting OTR and Blake, his impact on your team, you know, in your team, it wasn't just always Kevin Nolan, right? It wasn't Kevin Nolan blazing the path ahead by himself. You know, if you look at the other businesses I've founded, my name isn't in those. And, you know, you talk about after I got canned, right? I basically had to start a business the next day because I wanted my agency to be an LLC. I knew. And I also got my MC number so it would be a little aged. You know what I'm saying? While I was an agent, you know, so I needed a business. And so it was like, all right, Nolan Transportation Group. But there wasn't any thought into it. We're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. OTR is over the road capital. Like that makes a lot more sense. It's very defined, you know? See what you did there. No, I wasn't in a hurry, right? NTG was in a hurry. Like, hey, let's, I got to work tomorrow. And what do I know how to do? I know how to broker freight. That's what I'm going to do. You know, one of the things that I think a lot about are headwinds and tailwinds, right? We all have headwinds and we all have tailwinds. What are some of the headwinds that you think you had that other folks don't or didn't? And maybe what are some of the tailwinds that you had that other people can't benefit from? What's uniquely Kevin Nolan about headwinds and tailwinds? I've been through them. So like, you know, we go out from being an agent in 05, 06, which are like banging years, 07. And then then 2008, like the great banking tragedy or whatever happens. So you can't get financing anywhere. like. Banks were so tight that you just, you couldn't get, no matter how good your receivables were, if you hadn't been in business for, you know, 10 years and weren't willing to sign a giant personal, and banks still are this way a little bit, but they've lightened a little bit. So access to capital in, you know, the late O's or whatever you call them, you know, 08, 09, 10, 11, you, you know, you didn't have a lot of access to capital. Capital has been pretty fluid. So for growth perspectives, for getting people to invest, that's definitely been headwinds and tailwinds that comes and goes. Brokers are really hot at times and they're really ugly at times. (laughs) That's just the way it goes. But we're always needed and we are always providing a great service to the shipper, the small carrier. That's the other thing is, is, you know, capital. 
Capital has been the biggest headway. You know, that's why this market is so fragmented. You can get business fast, but you got to pay your vendors fast. If you don't figure out ways to pay the carriers fast, you're out of business. Try paying a factoring company in 60, 70, 80 days. They turn you off. Try, mm-hmm. You know, you got to pay them in 40. You got to pay them in 35. You got to pay them in 30, you know, the faster and the better. So capital is a giant headwind in this industry. I couldn't agree more, which is part of the reason I think technology can play such a huge role in changing the industry. The economics of brokerage is pretty tight, right? I mean, there's a ton of squeaky wheel around, oh, brokers take a huge margin. But when you look at the kind of the bottom line economics of, you know, a 98 OR or 97 operating ratio, I mean, that's not, that doesn't give you a lot of capital to grow, right? So technology can obviously help with some of that, which is stuff you and I have talked about before. Kevin, how did you know you were going to be successful? I've heard you say a couple of times, you just know. How did you know? I just know I'm a damn good freight broker. I just know. But that doesn't mean that you can build a good business. How did you know you were going to be successful? How did you know Nolan was going to win? I mean, I've always had people, even if I, you know, had thoughts or ideas or whatever else from growing up, people, you know, they listen and they think I'm not just the big guy who played sports or whatever else with a little bit. I have a little bit of a noggin on top of this, you know, bare body. So I knew that I'd be able to get some people to come. I'm a great salesperson too. (laughs) So, you know, I can convince people to understand the opportunity and communicate, right? A great salesperson means you're a great communicator. And so what the task at hand is, I, you know, I try to communicate it as well as possible. NTG was started to be a top five freight broker. OTR was started to be the best and largest freight payments business in the factoring space. Marquee, the premier insurance business for trucking. And, you know, I went to work at C.H. Robinson. C.H. Robinson's the best, still the biggest freight broker. So, you know, that's where I came from and that's what I know. And it's like all the people who coached under Saban, (laughs) A lot of the big brokers that have come out are, you know, spinoffs of touches of C.H. Robinson. And why would I not think that we couldn't compete with them? You know, that's where I learned. You talked earlier about your daughters and how you'd like for them to know all the work that it took for you to be successful. I don't want them to really know. I want them to keep pushing my ass. I want them to think what's going on is normal. That's great. I do. Many of us have an internal drive that keeps us going forward. But I also think that at the end of the day, we're all trying to impress somebody. It's not ourselves. Who are you trying to impress? No, oh, man. I'm always trying to impress my parents, for sure. You know, I want them to be proud of me. I believe that the Nolan name, as well as the Owens name, my mom's maiden name, as you know, that's Fritz, CEO and runs OTR. He's my second cousin. You know, we've got people in our family that are looking to us to do really, really good and big things. And so, Family is huge. You know, I want everyone to like me. I think that's my main thing is, is I, you know, I like people to like me. So I'm trying to impress everyone, I guess. You know, I I think that's been my whole life. You know, I've been trying to impress everyone. It's okay to want to do well. It's okay to, to want to impress people. You know, there's a lot of people who are afraid of that success and you've like grabbed it. Okay. So right before we jumped on, we started going back and forth about the concept of failure a little bit. Let's pick up that thread. How did you think about 
failure before you started? And how do you think about that now? Like, what would it have meant if NTG had failed? It's tough to get capital as you grow. I hit up friends and family. I mean, that's how passionate I was about this. I mean, I joke with Fritz and Harold all the time that like, hey, if we don't hit our numbers and make this debt payment to friends and family, we're going to have to move, right? I mean, because I was all in to have my parents, friends, to have the balls to sit across from somebody and ask them for a couple hundred thousand bucks to invest in your business when the biggest banking scandals have gone down, Enron went down, Wolf of Wall Street's just out on the movies, made off, <laughs> taking people's money. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It was mm-hmm. it was a lot of meetings, but all those people believed. And again, I'm a believe that I'm a good communicator of what we're gonna do and how we're gonna do it. You gotta pay your investors when it's due, right? They get mm-hmm. their money and people are like, oh, so many people have made so much money off of you with your private equity deals and whatever else. I've made good money too, but you know what? Those people believed, you know, and they bought in and they believed. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is a tremendous thing. And so if someone gives me their money or their money that they're representing from another family, like private equity is a bunch of family money that's like in one place. And that place gets to make decisions for all those families. Mm -hmm. So if I fail, I'm going to let down a shit ton of people who worked hard to make money or, you know, next generation people of money who are trying to actually be smart. So that's why, I mean, and your name and your reputation, it follows you. Right. And so you have to make your investors whole. And so that was the game and the mindset. And I did not pay myself very much at all in the beginning and reinvested it all for growth. I've heard you talk about making a name for yourself a couple of times. Did you set out to be rich? Did you set out to establish yourself? I found my calling in freight brokerage. I'm good at it, right? Like I tried to find my calling in football. I'm just short, right? And my arm, you know, I'm six foot or if I stretch, I'm, but you know, that's always been a, you know, you ask like failure, right? So I played football and worked out hard, did all these things. And I wasn't good enough or tall enough or big enough to play division one in the positions that I played. And so I found something that I can be like hall of fame. Yeah. Like, let's go. I love that. Have you made it or do you still have somewhere to go? We're not top five freight broker yet. Is that when you'll know you were successful? I will at that point have gotten to the place of why I started the business. To this point, it's not like painting a house or cutting grass where it's like, you're done, right? So it's been a long journey. You know, it's been a long journey. A lot more capital has come into the game (laughs) since I set that goal right? Like the number that I've got to get to in revenue to get there. It's a moving target. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It used to be Robinson and then like TQL and then like down to 200 million. Right. And so it's like now that I don't know how many are over a billion now, but the teams have gotten better too. But our management team, I posted something on LinkedIn about it. Like this is straight up Yankees, man. I mean, you know, our guys that have been there from the beginning, Harris, 
Steve, Ian, Perry, and then you mix that with that new group, Brian, Jeff, Drew, Joanne, you know, and Jennifer who run an HR. You know, I mean, I don't worry much about NTG. I mean, I know they're going to do what they got to do. That's a cool feeling to be a founder and be like, all right, I'm waking up today and all's good. You know, like that's yeah. sweet. Honestly, the three things that I've heard you talk about the most, team, like that's a theme that's carried through everything that you've talked about. Being open and opportunistic. Like you didn't necessarily know everything that was going to happen as you went, but you were open to the opportunities, right? To your point about capital was difficult. It was difficult to come by. I'd imagine when you started out, you didn't know you were going to start OTR, right? No, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that, you know, hey, oh my God, look how many carriers factor. Like the other thing is small carriers do not get good service. I mean, even, you know, our beginning days and even times at CH Robinson, I mean, Back in the day, carriers were not treated like they're treated now, and and they have to be treated this way. And, you know, we could provide a tremendous amount of service for them. And also, we're more than just money at OTR. I mean, OTR gets the carriers all kinds of information and things to let them know if they're in market or not in market. I mean, that's a sweet business. Fritz has blown it up. He has really kicked ass over there. What were some of the challenges you didn't see coming through your journey you didn't see coming that you thought would totally sink the ship? I mean, the swings in the freight rates, when you have scale, those swings hurt a lot harder. When the carrier rates pop faster, you know, that's what happens. Carriers lead, right? Carriers lead the rates. And so we did some crazy things, man. I think we had like 100 people and then we decided to hire 150 at one time. Someone asked me on Cassandra's show, like, what's the most you've ever gambled on a football game? Dude, I've gambled $4 million on people when we didn't make $4 million a year. I just knew those people were going to be good, believe, understand, and have an opportunity to make real money as a freight broker, right? And not have to take all the risk and all the headaches and heartaches. You know, I don't mind when freight brokers make more money in a year than I do or Jeff does or whoever else, they earned it and God bless them. I wholeheartedly agree. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the broader industry. What are some challenges you see coming for the industry and where do you think the industry is headed? I mean, you got more and more consolidation that's going to happen. I mean, Jacobs, everyone talks about, you know, how cool, what Jacobs has done for the industry, but I don't think people really know, you know, I mean, there's a lot of money that is coming to this industry, obviously through the pandemic and these holidays, e-commerce is even more important. So fulfillment and everything else like that. So I think there's going to be more and more opportunity for large brokers or three PLs managed trans. And when people ask me like, Hey, what's managed trans? I'm like, Managed trans is like shippers just getting more organized, right? They've got a plentiful amount of products. Some shippers need less. Some shippers need more. You know, it's not like a box product. So managed trans is what, so the shippers are getting smarter and smarter and better and better as they should, as they get more and more information. But also being a freight broker is hard. 
And so the life cycle of it, you know, might be five years for like a real top producer or seven or eight or whatever else. And then they're like, hey, I'm going to go to something that's a little more fixed and a little more stable. And so these shippers, you know, they hire a good freight broker into their shipping department. They can save millions of dollars and, you know, person can make a really good pay now in these logistics programs and these shippers. So, you know, the main thing is, is like, you're going to have shippers get smarter and smarter and more organized and everything else. So you have to get better on your game in every way. Continuous improvement. I mean, we're going to spend more at NTG and technology than we've ever spent next year. And I'm like the happiest about it. You know, we've got partners that believe in us. We used to have a real shoestring budget. And now we got a real budget. And so we're going to be armed at NTG with like a cannon. And so I can't wait to see what the hell happens there. What do you think across the industry is the biggest opportunity with technology? User interface for the customer, but then also connectivity, having something uniform that it's a cable box that can hook into whatever product anyone's using, whether it's a managed trans product or a TMS light or whatever, connectivity. Something that reduces friction. Fragmentation. Just anything you can do to get fragmentation tighter. For what it's worth, I agree with that second point for sure. What I've seen or what we've seen across the industry is just that, you know, there's an opportunity now to take a really diverse approach to technology and reduce that friction. And to your point, like make that interconnectivity work so you get the best of whatever else is out there. I have two more questions. What's advice you wish you could have given yourself on day one at NTG? Be ready for a lot of ups and downs, man. And also, you know, you're right. You're ready to go. Not buy Bitcoin? You know, Bitcoin, I still don't understand. I've never bought a pizza with Bitcoin. I haven't. Until that's like, I see if it's real fluid exchange. I, I don't, y'all buy shady shit with that stuff. What do you mean, y'all? I don't buy anything. <laughs> I don't buy anything shady. With Bitcoin, what have you purchased with Bitcoin that you've held in your hand? Nothing. Okay. But what have you purchased with IBM stock that you've held in your hand either? What do you mean? I sell it and they put it in my bank account. Yeah, so you do the same thing. Yeah, there you go. You do the same thing with Bitcoin. It was just a joke because you started in 2007. Where is Bitcoin? Like, is there a big, I don't know. You can buy it from like TD Ameritrade and Schwab and whatever. It was just a joke. It clearly didn't work. No, I get it. I just don't get it. I'm still not a crypto guy yet just because of the fact that when someone wants to start paying freight bills with crypto we'll get into it but until then i got enough work over here all right okay (laughs) let's worry about that let's talk about imposter syndrome quick because that got you chatting that was something that really set you off so you know that i want to kind of tell the story of imposter syndrome on here so since you said it right and i've been thinking about it Is it the talented Mr. Ripley? Would he be the greatest imposter syndrome of all time? Or is he just a psychopath? So imposter syndrome is worrying. It's not constant, right? He was pretty worried that people were going to find him out. He's killing people over it, right? So yeah, the thought that like, hey, you know, at some point, so Kevin, you said, I'm a great salesperson, right? You're a great salesperson. You're a great communicator. You go in, you can sit in with somebody you can get them excited about the things that you're excited about. That's the superpower of a great salesperson, right? You're able to get them excited about the things that you're excited about. And then the thought that, hey, you know, they're going to figure out that I don't have all the answers and I don't know everything. I struggle with it 
often, not every day, certainly, but like, I worry that Kevin, I'm talking to you. I mean, Kevin, what can I tell you about anything? You're the, you know, I've been in this industry for a little over 10 years. You've been in it for over 30 years. Not over 30. That was a joke. Over 20 years. But, You've been um, in this industry over was, 20 <laughs> years. My bad. Yes, I didn't do the math on the fly there. Very good. I was a history major and then I went to law school. What do I know about math? No, but, my real age is 60 because of the wear and tear. Yeah. The I mean, brokerage. What, look, if you look at the founders of all the other brokers, you know, whatever else, we're all kind of, we're like I said, the life cycle of a broker is, is you know, Totally. It's a mental manual relationship game. And we've got a fresh set of players. It's like Alabama just running in new linemen that have been waiting to jump in. So it's been really cool to, to see all that. But I've been able through my aging, I guess, to be able to admit where I'm not good. Back office. But early days when you didn't, when you couldn't admit that, how'd you deal with it? How'd you deal with worrying about people? You know, I drank, I smoked a lot of, you know what I'm saying? All right, like, well, that's I, not true. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, look, I never really was afraid that I wasn't going to fail. Like in the freight brokerage world, like I always knew that I was a good freight broker just because of how well I did very quickly at Robinson, right? Which is the best of the best. And so I just knew I was good. It was just surrounding myself with the right people. Okay. So that's where the, you know, there are times when you're selling the image of, Hey, when you're doing 10 loads a day and you're telling the original people to come work with you, Hey, one day we're going to have 4,000 loads on this board. One day we're going to have 8,000. One day we're going to have even 300 when there's 10, right? You know, that's, that's where communication really comes in from a standpoint of, you know, the fear that they don't believe you anymore. Maybe the fear that they might be losing faith in you because you've made some bad personal decisions or you've, you know, drank too much at a company function or whatever else. Those are times where you worry about what people think or believe. But yeah, you know, shame sometimes brings lots of success. I care a lot about what the people who work with me think of me for sure. There's nothing worse when I feel like, you know, as a leader, I'm not putting out a good vibe for them. So I'm going to sum this up. Here are the things that I've heard you say that have made you Kevin Nolan in 2020. You've embraced being imperfect. Like, I think that's a theme that I've kind of heard throughout that. You weren't worried about failure. You had confidence, but you also embraced that you were imperfect. And that led you to being open to doing things differently. And then you were opportunistic because of that, because you embraced that imperfection, right? You've always been somebody who understood the value of team and surrounding yourself with great people. You're a great communicator and you're self-aware. I mean, those are kind of the five pillars that have made you who you are and allowed you to be successful. So do you think that's a fair summation? Yeah, and I think everybody who comes to work with me knows that we're going to demand results, right? You know, we have a legacy of growing and winning and our name is pretty damn good right now. And a lot of the businesses, this is the time where you don't say, Hey, we've made it because making it for a year or two is not making it. Yeah. You know, I mean, someone asked me once, they're like, Hey, if you become a top five broker, you know, for like, 
one year and then go to 14, did you still hit your goal? And it's like, no, that's, you know, we're be a top five broker forever. I think when you ask me what's going to happen in the industry, why does that matter to me so much in scale is because technology is going to continue to make scale important. And also, you know, efficiencies are gained so much at scale. It's all about your ability to process invoices, get the carrier paid quickly and get the information from the customer and everything else. So the, the more you do that and the larger it gets, just the easier. And I think there'll be 10 brokers that are really powerful in 15 years from now. Not three years, not four years, but you know, 15 years or more. I think I agree with that. That's what I wanted to talk about today. I had a good time talking about this. Did I do okay? Did I do a good job? I mean, I talked a lot. I mean, I talked a lot. That was the lot. goal. That's the point. I want you to talk. I'm here to learn, Kevin. I'm here to learn. And that's why I want to kind of take away some of these big things. Like I love, I love those kind of those key concepts that I kind of just highlighted. I love the idea that you embrace that you're imperfect. I think that's a pretty rare quality. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you got to be able to look in the mirror. That song, What's Poppin', Jack Harlow, there's a line in there where he's like, I'm sick of taking advice from people who can't look in the mirror, right? And it's like, that's why Jeff Kelly is running NTG right now because he knows what top five freight brokers looks like. You know, that's Mm -hmm. why Brian is doing the IT project because he's handled and been there. And so, you know, I'm pretty damn proud to have people that want to come join our team like that. Yeah, that speaks to what you've built. So thanks for jumping on with me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the conversation. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Founder Studio. A couple quick things before you go. We're proudly hosted on the Logistics of Logistics Network. To hear more content from the industry's top leaders in supply chain and logistics, check out thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And until next time, onward and upward.